privileged to forego career until our children were school age. I actually stayed home till my youngest was in the 10th grade. That was the best time of my life. The Lord has a way of directing your steps and, and controlling your path. We receive child care development block grant dollars in Tennessee, and so it's really looking at how can we maximize the use of those dollars. If a generation has not been privileged to understand that parenting is not a, a part-time job, red flags come up. That, that we are facilitating things that have been proven, such as early childhood education, to not be in the best interest of the child. Mom, if we're trying to facilitate things that we know are not necessarily in the best interest of a child, why are we expecting different results? If a family determines that they want a two-income family, mm -hmm. then that certainly is, is there. But then are the taxpayers going to be obligated to assist in that. That's and it used to be in, in high school, every woman's required home economics and early childhood development. I suspect we need to go back to the future. Hello and welcome to What About Us, a podcast that discusses how policies affect rural Tennesseans. Today's title is What About Us, the Women and Mothers of Tennessee. You just heard from one of our state senators, Janice Bowling, in response to a question about funding for child care. What did you hear? Mothers should stay home with young children. God will find a way for you to do that. The state should not have to pay for your decision to have a two-income family and therefore need uh, help with child care. Home ec and child development should be returned to the classroom for girls, I imagine. Child care and early childhood education are not good for young children. Well, Senator Bowling got a lot of pushback, when she, and when she tried to clarify these statements, uh, it just became more confusing. Today's podcast focuses on how the Tennessee State Legislature is out of touch with the people of Tennessee, their needs and priorities. Today, we're going to talk about how that affects the women and mothers of Tennessee. My guest today is Sheila Younglove, candidate for State Senate District 16, Senator Bowling's district that she has held for uh, two four-year terms. Sheila, tell us about yourself. Hello, and thanks for inviting me to your podcast. I'm so happy to be here. Um, I was born Sheila Lynn, Florida, uh -huh. in Flint, Michigan. I uh, used to tell people when they would say, where'd you get a name like Florida? Uh, even as a kid, I got so tired of it that I finally said, you know those little ads in the back of a magazine? Well, I tore it out and I ordered my name there, and kids would look at me like, really? <laughs> so, yeah. Irish to the core. Okay. And um, the young love comes from my son. Um, I wanted to keep his name and my, my name the same, and he did too. So, I, I figured if I ran a Sheila, Florida, people would go, why is somebody from Florida running for, you know, I didn't want to get confused. Um, so... I'm using Young Love, and that, that is my name. But I am an attorney, and my office is um, in Sparta, Tennessee, in White County, which is not in our district. But I live in Warren County, which is in our district, and I have a satellite office there. I primarily do family law, uh, which includes a lot of things from adoption, through divorce, through custody, mm. everything following that to also um, doing conservatorships, guardianships, a little estate planning and probate, you know, cradle to grave, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And 
I do a lot of um, work in juvenile court with DCS, Department of Children's Services, where I serve um, as a guardian ad litem quite often for children who are in the foster care system. So I see what these children go through, and that's yeah. my heart is there to help work. those children. Yes, and part of the reason I became a lawyer is because uh, by the time I was eight years old, I was orphaned, mm-hmm. and I was um, sent from Michigan to Tennessee to live with an aunt who I had only seen twice in my entire life. Mm-hmm. And I was separated from my siblings, was rarely allowed to visit with them. And when we did visit with each other, usually somebody was listening for whatever reason. I don't know what they thought we were going to talk about or what we were going to do. Plot against, you know, the nation. But, you know, we were, we were watched and monitored. Um, so it really made me angry that there was no voice for me or my siblings. Mm-hmm. We simply had to put up with what was given to us. Now, I was the lucky one of the little ones. The aunt and uncle that got me uh, actually were good to me. And, you know, they raised me in church. They, you know, taught me to uh, love God, love God's creation, to love my fellow man, to help others when I could, and to, you know, not be selfish. But there was still always that longing in me to help other children that were in that position. And so from that age, I wanted to be an attorney. Okay. And so I, you might, you know, call me the queen of late bloomers. Uh, I, you know, grew up, of course, and I was told by my aunt, for whatever reason, that she would not allow me to go to college. Mm-hmm. I, was, I did all the college prep stuff in high school, and I was ready for it, you know, looking forward to it. And she informed me at the last minute that you won't be going to college. Because I think she was really afraid that, you know, here I was a girl going out into the world. And I think she was afraid bad things would happen to me. And -hmm. she couldn't be there to protect me. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it was out of a sense of of cruelty. Mm -hmm. I I think it was out of a sense of protectionism. A little bit of overly protectionism. So I um, later got married, had my son, Zach, and... When his father and I divorced, you know, I I had taken a few classes, but not enough to really, you know, make a a degree plan. I got my paralegal certification and um, later married again and went back to school full time and worked full time. Got my degree in sociology with an emphasis in social movement and social change and specifically uh, genocide. And the Holocaust, which is a real cheery subject, you know, but um, it's come in handy, particularly in light of current events. And then I went straight into law school while my boys were in uh, high school. And it was, as an older student, I, I appreciated every second of it. You know, I, I got that opportunity that I didn't get when I was young. Mm-hmm. And I really latched on to that. You know, I graduated with highest honors from college. I graduated in the top third of my class in law school. All of this while working full time. So, you know, I've known the struggle of parents as single parents and two um, income families, you know, raising their children and facing, you know, financial hardship, things of that nature. 
but I got to realize my dream of practicing law in the area that I'd always wanted to practice in. And when I get to represent children in court, I fight for them like a tiger. Mm -hmm. And I get so many hugs from those children. Mm -hmm. They text me. They send me pictures of what they get in school for, you know, certificates or awards. And it's just like, I'm so happy for them. I can't stand it, you know. <laughs> so it, it's something that has brought me a lot of joy. And it's, it's one of those things that I'm so grateful that I get to do what I love. Mm-hmm. Then I was approached back in March about running for Senate for the 16th District. Well, ironically, two years ago, I ran for city alderman in McMinnville. Some people had come to me and said, Sheila, why don't you run? We really need somebody like you. And I was like, yeah, you want me to run, you know? Like, no, 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 we want you to run. So I did. And I didn't win. The incumbents were reelected, but I was just right up under them in the vote count. And it was interesting to me. But I had told one of my sisters that I was doing it. She said, oh, next thing you know, you're going to be a senator. We just <laughs> laughed and we laughed and we laughed. Oh, irony. Oh, <laughs> so when I was approached to run for senator, I wanted to call my sister <laughs> right and say, away. who have you been talking to? <laughs> and I said, you don't want me to run? Are you kidding me? I'm no, you know, I'm no big politician. I'm just a regular person. They said, nope, nope, no, your name keeps coming up, and we've heard you're a good person, and that, you know, you really care about people, and, you know, that's what we need. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, you know, I'm not wealthy. I said, you don't have to be wealthy to run. I said, well, I I guess you got to have some kind of money to buy signs and, you know, run a campaign, don't you? I said, I don't have that kind of money. They said, we will help you. We'll take care of it. Okay. Uh, let me let me sleep on this. And you know, and I, I did sleep on it. I prayed about it and uh, weighed the pros and cons. And then my sister's incessant voice kept going off in my head. I was like, okay. <laughs> you won, sis, you won. So I agreed to run. And I was terrified. But you know, this has been so educational for me, and I'm really happy to run. Well, I know a lot of people that are happy for you to run as well, uh, because we need uh, different blood in in the state. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about um, some of the things that have gone on that have affected women and mothers. Yes. Uh, we've had a legislative session that was cut early, uh, went from January to March, and then there was the week before last, or last week, I guess, ended last Friday, that uh, uh, things things for a lot of people don't don't go well. And um, the, the tape that we heard, I think, was in regards to some child care funds that had been available but unused. And right. so Senator Bowling was uh, giving her opinion uh, about uh, assisting mothers uh, and parents with uh, child care, feeling that they should uh, stay at home. You know, um, I've said this uh, before, but uh, we hear this party line that the economy is great, but we have so many people, families in Middle Tennessee that both have to work two jobs, three jobs, maybe more, and still struggle because there's parents. 
elderly parents and all kinds of uh, when grandparents grandparents raising children it just it just goes on and on so the economy is is not that good so we heard uh, one story um, in November of 2019 the Tennessean broke the news that Tennessee had 732 million dollars in unspent dollars from a federal block grant called the Temporary Assistance for Needy Families, or TANF. Uh, this is a 1996 federal program, which I studied in my uh, graduate program. Um, it was signed by President Clinton, and it was to assist poor working people to find jobs, keep families together, allow children to live in their homes with childcare, transportation, and parenting classes. It was to be a temporary boost to come out of poverty, not to be on welfare for a long time. You know that we, we have this, belief that there's the welfare queen ideology um, started with Ronald Reagan, but it's just gone um, on and on. Everybody has a story yes. of somebody that's been on. And then actually in the 1990s, they found that that's really, uh, really wasn't true and that poor families really do, uh, due to whatever circumstances that I'm sure you see every day in the courtroom, uh, that they need a, a lift up. They do. And that's, that's really an important point. Um, you hear a lot of people say, oh, you know, we're giving handouts to all these people. Mm-hmm. No, you're not. You're giving a leg up. Mm-hmm. For them to be successful. Yes. And be a taxpayer. Yes. <laughs> I can give you a personal example. Mm-hmm. My sister, who is a nurse, uh, has two sons. And when they were very small... Her husband left them Mm -hmm. and she got the opportunity to go to uh, community college in the nursing program yay and you know I said thank God you're the one that's a nurse um, because that was not my calling Um, my sister went to community college but because she had these two little boys you know she had trouble finding childcare she she wasn't working. She wasn't allowed to work while she was in the program. And she was. She went through their RN program. And she struggled. And I mean she struggled financially. Mm-hmm. She wasn't getting child support. And she was so embarrassed to ask for food stamps. But she had to. Or she would not have been able to feed her own children. Mm-hmm. So she did get assistance. And you know when I could... I gave her assistance, mm-hmm. but I was also struggling at the time too, and I remember that when she graduated and she got her first job as an RN, she went back to the office, uh, I guess, Department of Human Services, mm-hmm. I guess that's mm-hmm. how it is, and she said, I want to pay back the money that I was given to help me. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, ma'am, it didn't work that way. And she said, well, I've got a good job now. I want to pay back. I don't want to take something for nothing. Mm-hmm. And they were, they're like, well, this just never happened. <laughs> but, you know, my sister needed it. She used it for mm-hmm. what it was meant for. Had it not been for that program in Michigan at the time, she would not have been a registered nurse. Mm-hmm. Well, and the other thing, without these child care, child education, early childhood education, um, you know, the, those kids, you know, they grow up. Yes, they do. And they, they have problems mm-hmm. 
and that how much does that cost us as a society? Yes, it does. You know, not to mention the psychological and, and emotional toll on parents and the ch- children themselves. Exactly. So it's a it's a fundraiser anyway. Uh, uh, Tennessee accrued over 732 million in unused federal funds by withholding um, aid from children in poverty and by reducing services that help working families lift lift themselves and their children out of poverty. Now, no other state had hoarded the TANF funds like Tennessee, and even other states have used their excess funds for expanded childcare and support for parents undergoing treatment for opioid addiction. Good for them. Exactly. How are you going to solve a problem? Are you going to sprinkle fairy dust on it? No, that ain't going to work. And I'm sorry if your listeners think, wow, that woman just really speaks her mind. Yes, I do. <laughs> and as your next senator, yes, I will. Um, but it's it's crazy. Get it's you, crazy. You know, get, get your fairy dust out of the way and put mm-hmm. some real legs under this. Or blame somebody else. Oh, yes. Oh, it's somebody else. It couldn't possibly be us. You know, if I, if I well, you know, the reason that people uh, don't have good health outcomes in Tennessee is they make poor decisions. Well, I guess, oh, the, I guess you could say these people do that, too. The, well, those people. And notice uh, that sociologically, what are you doing? Blaming other people. You're they, making um, them the other. The other. And they're always what's going to get While you're us, right? sitting there in your privileged tower, yes, let's talk about that privilege a little bit. Uh-huh. Because you didn't have to worry about that, you know? No. My opponent didn't have to worry about that. No, she didn't because she said so. So it's case. so easy to point the finger and say, well, you know, they shouldn't have made that decision. Really? That's, yeah. that's very interesting. Well, everybody makes bad decisions. It's just how privileged you are and for your so, safety net. Yes. And for somebody who claims to be pro-family and pro, you know, whatever, I, I'm not seeing that. I'm not seeing I'm, it either. I'm seeing criticism, and it's it's like you're almost holding it against somebody because they're the working poor. Guess what? They could be the non-working poor. <laughs> yeah. They're trying to get a leg up, not mm-hmm. a handout. Mm-hmm. We, and there's know, always a few... Every system's going to get abused. Every system. Every system. And it's not just the marginalized. No. There's white power. There sure is. At the highest levels of government. What? (laughs) Yes. You see this huge boulder of sarcasm on my shoulder. Uh Yes. Well, I have one too. Okay. So, um, so this uh, money Mm -hmm. to defray the cost of. Child care. Some even Tennessee was returning back to the feds. Mm-hmm. I hate when that happens. Um, and apparently, this was because of mishandling by the uh, Tennessee Department of Health under both Governor Haslam and then Governor Lee. When Governor Lee was finally made aware of it in October of 2019, he said it'll be put to use when the needs are there for those who qualify. I think he got a little backlash on that. Um, put your eyeballs back in your head. Yeah, I'm trying, Sheila. I'm um, really trying. Um, this is hard. But he apparently changed his mind, although at one point he asked permission to use these funds to implement work requirements for Medicaid and food stamps. Um, and I'm, I'm going to be talking about uh, work requirements and food stamps at another time. So, okay. Um, with uh, somebody that knows that. So, so uh, apparently uh, it, it was felt that nobody really needed this, you know, this money for child care. I wanted to just mention some, I hate to do too many stats, 
Uh, but these are pretty mind-blowing. Yeah, let's so. go over some stats, because I think, you know, when you actually show numbers. Mm -hmm. So child poverty in Tennessee, of all children, we have a 22.3%. We're the ninth highest in the country. You know, I'm always yammering about our low, low health care outcomes, like 42 and 43. But here we're kind of yeah. at the top of the list. Look at there. Extreme uh, poverty, eighth highest in the country. Um, oh, mm -hmm. all children, that's 330,998 children in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry I don't have the date uh, for these. Um, black child poverty, 40.4%. We're the 10th highest in the country. Mm -hmm. And white child poverty, now that's only 15.4%. Mm -hmm. But that's the fourth highest in the country. For the richest country in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. a disgrace. Yeah, we have a lot of dis disgust disgraceful stats and there's more to come so hang on mm. okay so there's several reasons I bring this clip of Senator Bowling and the TANF dilemma to our discussion of women and mothers today okay. Okay, we we need more women represented in our government <clears throat> but I don't see that in the women that represent me and many of us in Middle Tennessee exceptions I feel are along party lines do we do we so do we see our, our, our women um, Standing up for equal pay for us. Uh, Marsha Blackburn famously says, no, we, we don't want equal pay. Uh, women, we don't? Though that's what Marsha says, the uh, Senator well, Blackburn. Well, Marsha says it, it must be true. Yeah, okay. Okay, so, um, whatever. A lot of pushback from that. Mm -hmm. And uh, women's health care. Okay, now our uh, state representative in our area, Iris Rudder, and many of the representatives in the surrounding rural area here and Senator Bowling vehemently opposed Medicaid expansion and pro-choice. Um, Senator Bowling has really put the kibosh on Medicaid expansion since like 2014, mm -hmm. I believe. You know, that's never, you know, went to committee, but I talk enough about health care on my own. Let's just put this. it in there. She stabbed Governor Haslam in the back on that. Oh, she, oh yes, she did for 10... Her own governor of her own party, right. she stabbed the man in the back on right. Insure Tennessee. Insure Tennessee, that was the name of it, right. We don't see him sticking up for us, uh, women's safety. No. Nope. Uh, for guns and violence against women. And uh, women of color, no. I think they just really go along with the men, and they don't stand up for us either. Um, just for us, childhood po going back to childhood poverty uh, again means parental poverty. Mm -hmm. um, so, fifty-eight point two percent of children in poverty live in single mother households. Single father, eight point three percent. Did you get that? Fifty-eight point two, mother. So the mothers have the kids. They're poor. Yes, Senator Blackburn. Again, we don't need equal pay. Nah, not not with that. Anyway, Governor Lee on this TANF again, asking for a study group, working group, yada, yada, yada. Um, um, the TJC, uh, Tennessee Justice Center, my favorite group of people. They're awesome. Mm -hmm. And uh, reporters at the Tennessean are, are going to uh, look at where that money is being used. We, we think that it's uh, to help needy families um, in, the, in the pandemic, but we need to really follow up on that. I mean, that was November, December, January. So, what other issues, Sheila? Um, last week, in the wee, wee hours of the morning um, of this week-long return to the General Assembly to address the budget and the COVID emergency, the legislature managed to pass and send to Governor Lee's desk the most restrictive ban on abortion. 
<laughs> oh, don't you love it? Tell me, Sheila, why will this be yet another piece of legislation that will be declared unconstitutional? Because it is unconstitutional, and they just set us up to spend millions of dollars, and the state is going to lose on that because the Supremes are going to uphold Roe v. Wade. Okay. Is the law of the land. It has been for? It has been for many a decade. It's going to be held up. So this is a big waste of money. Mm -hmm. This is also a bunch of primarily old white men telling Mm -hmm. women what they can and cannot do with their bodies. Mm -hmm. Wow, does that sound familiar? Um, I, I don't have many friends who like for anyone to tell them what they're going to do with their body. Mm-hmm. Okay? I, I think that when you talk about the heartbeat issue, most of the time you don't even realize you're pregnant until you're right. close I to six weeks. That. And you get a heartbeat at six weeks through an ultrasound. Okay? Mm-hmm. Been there, done that. But, so you're saying, okay, the second you get that heartbeat or, you know, get your ultrasound and see it, too bad for you. Really? Why? Well, you should have made better decisions. Uh-huh. Oh, well, really? Okay. I am a, an officer of the court. I had to take an oath mm-hmm. to uphold the Constitution of the United States, the state of Tennessee, and all laws promulgated under those two constitutions. I will fight for a woman's right to have the say-so over her body. I will fight for a man to have the say-so over his body, too. Although I don't see very many women coming up and saying, hey, let's just you know, make sure we you know, do something with your body. Um, it's, it's, it's disgusting to me tell, that, that tell this me has about, happened. We were talking a little bit about uh, that the Roe versus Wade is based on the right to privacy. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a little bit uh, it's d- difficult. Yeah, and that's the criticism is that it, it's weak. But tell me about the laws we have protecting your privacy in your house, and then you referred to our bodies as a temple, and that's mm-hmm. kind of the connection that the court made. Mm-hmm. Oh, you don't have to answer that at all. See how well there you explained it to that. me? Look I at could. That. <laughs> Look at that. So why would your happens? house, the things you do in your home, be more private than your own body? That's right. That you live in and look out of your eyes. And I mean, you know, That's right. But you know, it goes beyond privacy. Mm-hmm. You look at our fundamental rights, okay? Mm-hmm. One of the fundamental rights we have in Tennessee is to be a parent, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, if you don't like, if you don't like the logic used in the Roe v. Wade argument okay look at the the fundamental right to be a parent how different is that to flip it and the right to not be a parent Mm -hmm. when it says well they should have to have these children oh you're gonna make them have them so or if you're gonna make them have them does that mean that you're also going to give them a leg up to help them financially right we're not asking for a handout here okay Mm-hmm. We'll make that real clear. We're asking for a leg up. Mm-hmm. And that means, hey, you might have to help them with some child care. 
Right, and now we're practically, we should quit now. We've gone full circle. I mean, really, it is. It's full circle because it, it becomes a circular argument after a while when mm-hmm. they're saying, no, we can't do this. No, we shouldn't do that. You shouldn't have done that. You made a bad choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're humans. We're not. I only heard of one perfect person. I personally never met him. And that was somebody who lived, you know, a few thousand years ago. Now, some people may think they're perfect. Like I knew Swarm. Sorry, yeah, you're not. Um, so yeah, we've come full circle on that one. So, you know, but that's I've got a couple news. more things. Well, you go ahead. But uh, this fits into it, you know. Again, my listeners on a regular basis know about me and Medicaid expansion mm-hmm. and how that would help uh, uh, young women, women of childbearing age, to have counseling and mm-hmm. support and prepare in the best way possible to give a child a, a good life and even afterwards. But mm-hmm. um, the legislature, that's who we were talking about, the General Assembly has again and again opposed Medicaid expansion. Mm-hmm. Now, my representative, Iris Rudder, said on a television, uh, on a radio program, actually I visited her uh, in March and told her about uh, a Republican representative um, that was going to try to bring Medicaid expansion up again because of a personal situation he had in his family. Um, but then on the radio, and, and she was, seemed interested, in, and I wanted to have, a, a, you know, we agreed to have a dialogue. And then about two weeks later, she was on a program, a radio program, and she said, I will never, never, ever, ever support Medicaid expansion. We don't need government-run health care. It mm. will not work. Mm. We take care of our own in Franklin County. You can go to the hospital anytime. Mm. So the government can decide a, pers- a woman's personal decision about childbirth, but not assist with health care. And uh, in a 2017 poll, said that 63% of Tennessee supported expansion. Tennesseans supported Medicaid expansion. 21% opposed. What would that be now uh, with the COVID and eco- crisis and economic collapse? Representative Rudder does not believe in listening to the public. She could say at her next radio program, I will never, never, ever, ever care what the people of Tennessee want. <laughs> so true. Talking about uh, children health care, just real quick, mm-hmm. postpartum care um, for one year to reduce maternal mortality. I think we're 43 or 44 percent. Yeah. Uh, 44 we rank that in, in the country on maternal mortality. This is the death of a mother within a year of giving birth. Wow. So this was cut from the budget, cut from the budget last oh. week. So I reported on this in March because they had an initiative uh, to extend postpartum coverage to 12 months when it was discovered that 52 maternal deaths had occurred in the year following delivery, mostly due to a relapse in drug use. They tell me that taking care of an infant is stressful. Um, so I use that as an example of how policies have uh, life or death consequences. So you can be sitting up there in the General Assembly making these decisions and kind of be um, insulated yeah. from the people. Uh, and, and this was happening, 50, 52 uh, mother side. And, and that was uh, probably several years. It wasn't like it was in 2019. It was probably 2017. So I, I don't know how many mothers have died since then or will die with this cut um, because we don't spend any we, we don't do much with opioids and I keep saying I'm going to have a podcast on on that but um, other things keep keep coming up so another uh, 
so that's women and mothers again teacher salaries cut out of the budget again now you've talked to Beth Brown mm-hmm. more uh, several recently times. I could not find the number of teachers that are women, but in the U.S. several years ago, 77% of teachers. I have not updated on that myself. However, I bet it's a lot. I bet it's still more, near that. More than the males, mm-hmm. overwhelmingly. In McMinnville, I know that there is one male kindergarten teacher mm-hmm. in our entire system, and he is so good. His name is Brent Estes, by the way. He is so good. That, t- that parents beg for him to be their child's mm-hmm. kindergarten teacher. Mm-hmm. He loves his kids. He teaches his kids. He has some of the best kids that come out of the kindergarten program. However, let's go back to teachers and their pay. I spoke to Beth Brown about this, and Beth Brown is in our district. She lives in Grundy County. She teaches in Grundy County, so she's just not in some office pontificating right. about things. She's right. hands, you know, eyes on the ground. Well, she's taking a leave from teaching, but she put like yeah. She she's over 10 there or 12 or something years. But she is English passionate mm-hmm. about education in Tennessee. And Tennessee is 46. Now we only got 50 states, but we're 46th in the nation for per student funding. Right. There's no excuse for that. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, what is no, that? No, no, we had 730, what did I say, 35 million dollars kicking around. There you go. And I don't know, there was well, a whole big reserve for a rainy day. Well, uh, there's billions it's been raining. in the rainy day. <laughs> there's billions in the rainy day fund. Mm-hmm. When Beth and I last spoke about it, there was six billion mm-hmm. unallocated rainy day money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, Tennessee teachers were promised a 4% raise, okay? Every single one of them. Well, I said, well, Beth, did that not go through? And she said, no, you've got to understand how this works. Mm -hmm. The money gets sent to the counties, okay? Mm -hmm. So that each teacher could get a 4% raise. But it's up to those counties to use that money where they feel it's best needed. So, let's say you've got um, schools in Marion County that need um, extra like teachers assistants that need extra cafeteria staff extra janitors things like that they put that money towards hiring additional staff mm-hmm. and that teacher doesn't get her raise mm-hmm. so that's a big fat lie mm-hmm. I mean that's all you can call it it's a big fat lie mm-hmm. There's not a chicken in every pot. Mm -hmm. These teachers are not getting their raises. And if we don't take care of our educators, we fail as a society. Mm -hmm. What do they do whenever they take over new countries and somebody comes over? They kill the educators and the lawyers. Oh, okay. That's what you do first. Hmm. You kill your educators and your lawyers because they're the ones who are going to teach you to stand up. To stand up. Mm Mm-hmm. It's exactly what you do. You silence them. Okay. So you, you've got that. You've also got mental health care issues, right. not just for students, but also for teachers for vicarious trauma. Well, they're like, well, how, how, could, how does that work? Okay. You have a teacher who has students come in. These children don't have enough food at home. 
they live in domestic violence mm-hmm. or the parents are going through divorce and there's you know a lot of animosity there's a lot of lack of funds mm-hmm. you have children who have suffered the death of a parent mm-hmm. or a grandparent so they have they have trauma the teacher is there and they're having to comfort that child the teachers see enough that they're getting vicarious trauma from that mm-hmm. They go home and they cry their eyes out for their students because they love their students. And how long do you ask a person to do that for little pay? The average now for a new teacher is between two and a half and three years. And again and again in Tennessee, these things, you know, are cut out yeah. of the budget. Now, by the people that are up there. Yeah. And um, they're not listening to the people that employ them. They are not. And, and, and one last thing that I had on, on my list um, was just guns and gun violence. Now, mm-hmm. I did two podcasts about guns with um, uh, Beth Jocelyn Roth from Safe Tennessee, and they, they probably have the fewest listens <laughs> of all my podcasts, but that's okay. I, I dare them to listen. <laughs> Come on, give it a try. What fun. Because people want to stay away from that. But, and I'm not making a comment on the Second Amendment or anything, but I'm just wanting to say, just again, mention 46 in the country on our education Mm -hmm. spending or whatever, but we're fifth in the nation for women murdered by men, most often with a gun. Mm -hmm. In almost all cases, the woman is murdered by someone with whom she has had a current or former romantic relationship. Sometimes the man shoots the woman and then kills himself. Sometimes he shoots the women and their children. Um, These shootings happen in cities and rural communities, both. The shooters and victims come from all socioeconomic and ethnic backgrounds. Sometimes a woman is a shooter. The only common denominator in these incidents is the weapon used. In heated emotional situations, the presence of a firearm often turns an argument into a shooting and far too often a fatality. I mention this because I wonder if in any attempt that the General Assembly has made to make guns more readily available, the threat to women is ever, ever considered. I'm thinking never, never. I'm tending to agree with you. Um, I will refer back personally to my studies in sociology of uh, the association sociology of marriage and the family okay we studied Mm -hmm. domestic violence at that time now this was back in 2010 okay the statistic was 60 percent of the abusers who threaten to kill the other spouse if they leave and usually it's the male threatening the woman Mm -hmm. and believe me i'm not male bashing i'm just saying what what the statistics say 60% 60% of them do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. That's very scary. Mm-hmm. And you wonder why women are afraid to leave their abusers. Right. Right. And I am not anti-gun. I'm not. They're not my cup of tea. Mm-hmm. They just never have been. But I have brothers. I have a son. I have cousins that collect guns. Okay? But they do it properly. I'm not against guns. I uphold people's right to own them. They're just not my cup of tea. Mm -hmm. They're part of the Constitution. 
I will defend people's rights to own their guns. Okay? I'm just saying, I don't collect them. Yeah. So. Well, I'm just asking that there be some consideration. There, there has to be that consideration. Of, of that. It's a pretty arrogant bunch we got up there. I'll just, I'll just say I that. think they forget where they came from. Now, some well, of them are privileged I, backgrounds anyway. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's it. I think that, you know, um, I think last week was very, very, um, it was a mess. It was very yes. emotional. I mean, they spent, uh, again, this taxpayer money, mm-hmm. a lot of, we got a lot of bad things happening. I'm not sure that everybody uh, agrees. I know that they did pass a resolution to, that the press was um, sensationalizing uh, COVID. And um, I, I mentioned this on my last um, podcast about COVID. I think it's... <laughs> This is terrible. <laughs> this it is terrible. Is, it's and awful. and you know, I think it's certainly more sensational than a lot of things that the media has covered over the last oh, let's say just pick a number four years. Um, but uh, they're on um, on the Nathan Bedford Forest and the statues, and they just went uh, you know round and round and other. Uh, fellow, uh, you know, people in the legislature and the General Assembly begging them to take a look at race-related things mm-hmm. uh, um, and hurtful things um, to 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 look at it a different way, and and they just refuse. Regarding mm-hmm. this session, there was a reference uh, when uh, one representative didn't hear the speaker calling on him about he must have been getting a fried chicken recipe. You know, come on, mm. y'all. I know one of the representatives that I'm a good friend with uh, has a experience in teaching um, difficult uh, teenagers in a special high school. She says it's really prepared me for the uh, Tennessee General Assembly. Mm. Well, Sheila, we got a lot off our chest. If <laughs> they just listen to us, we'd solve all our That's problems. Right. Yeah, we'll just go on and on and get it all taken care of. But I'm going to ask my listeners, as I always do, to help with uh, facilitating change. And this is the action plan. So, um, so, so the first thing is listen to my podcast. <laughs> of course. I've covered some great topics. I've had such a good time. I've learned, I've learned so much. And it is, as far as I know, the only podcast that focuses on middle rural Tennessee. Um, Another uh, program is Common Sense Matters that you can find on YouTube. It's with the Franklin County Democratic Party. The Right Way uh, is the second and fourth Friday mornings on WCDT in Winchester. Uh, It is the Republican, uh, Franklin County Republican um, Party's uh, radio program often has Iris Rudder and Janice Bowling on talking about issues of the day. Uh, if you don't know, now you know, which is the Tennessee Democratic Party's podcast. You can also look at the Republican and Democratic Party Facebook. You can um, look at ballot Ballopedia to see about votes uh, for any of your representative. Um, the Tennessee Holler is uh, very, very uh, um, democratic, but it is a, kind of a humorous slash sad uh, look at things that are happening in, mm-hmm. the, in the General Assembly. What's your issue? What bugs you? What, what do you want to see 
done by golly maybe we've you know uh, piqued some interest some items some topics that you want to look into google it as always from the very beginning read a newspaper um, online if you're very rural the Tennessean is $69 a year for the digital um, the Chattanooga Times free press um, I'm not sure how much that is but they're all are having specials and trying to get get the public you know reading about the news you can go to Tennessee.gov uh, for it's a good website they've got lots and lots of information as always, the Tennessee Justice Center, I just love them. And the Safe Tennessee Project is about guns and, uh, guns and gun legislation, but uh, really, really kind of a lot of things. Yeah. Um, study the candidates. Look at their websites, their Facebook uh, page. Uh, Sheila, do you want to tell us what your pages are? Yeah. I've got, my website is youngloveforsenate.com. My Facebook page is Sheila Young Love for State Senate. Uh, I've also got a Twitter account under Young Love for Senate, or just Sheila Young Love. You can you can get there. Okay. Um, I've let's see what else have I got. I've got a, uh, have a Instagram. We have a blog on your site on your website. I do. I have a blog where I've actually talked about Medicaid expansion mm-hmm. fairly extensively. I'm going to get into it some more. And I'm going to start writing some uh, blogs about various divisions of what our education system needs, according to what I've been told by Beth Brown, by other teachers in our district, and by actually doing my own research. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I don't believe in only taking somebody's word for something. I'm a lawyer. I like to research things and have my evidence ready. Yeah. And when somebody asks me a question, I want to be able to pull that piece of paper out and say, this is where I've got it. Okay. You know, I don't get up in court and do a lot of puffery and say, well, you know, if I showed you this piece of paper, which is blank, um, if I showed you this and it said this, could you deny it? No. If I ask you a question, you better believe I've got evidence. Mm-hmm. Woe unto you if you lie to me. That's right. That's and right. Don't I ask a question unless you know the answer. That's right. Um, and I, I do want... The people that listen to this podcast to know that I know where I came from. I'm grateful for the opportunities I've had in this life. I've really been blessed. But I view being your next senator is working for you, mm-hmm. not the other way around. And not I'm the party. Welcome. Yeah, no, no. There's something in the party that I don't agree with. I really don't mind telling them, and I've told them that from the beginning. Um, I just am who I am, and I welcome conversations with the people of the 16th district. All right. And others, you know, other districts too, but for my district, I welcome talking to you. Okay. Let me just add that um, Sheila's website and Facebook page have donate buttons. Yes. Press them over and over again. <laughs> and the last thing I want to say, well, it's the second, well, no. Thank you, Sheila. Thank you so much. I think much. you would make a great um, Senate candidate, and I've enjoyed uh, the second time I've talked to you, and I look forward to um, talking to you some more. Um, and vote. Uh, absentee. Uh, this is another thing that uh, was kind of ticked at the General Assembly for. They're fighting against voting absentee. Um, I could do it because yes. I'm old enough, and there are a lot of, uh, of categories and situations mm-hmm. that you can, but... Tennessee has been ordered 
to allow everybody to yes. uh, vote absentee. And the way COVID is going, you don't want to be uh, afraid to go out and, and cast your vote for uh, some change. You know, um, um, we need some change, folks. Things aren't going very well. So um, I thank Sheila again, uh, Sheila Young Glove for State Senate District 16. And I thank all my listeners again for um, downloading. You can do that again and again. Alrighty. Bye-bye.